You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins. Welcome, Wiretappers. Back here in the studio of Gangland Wire. Uh, this particular episode and my upcoming bonus episode, uh, both on Jimmy the Weasel Fradiano, are in conjunction with my appearance on my competitor podcast titled Mafia. Uh, I was asked to do some shows with them, and the first was Fradiano. I spend so much of my time and energy on my own podcast and my documentary films that when I do a guest appearance, they all seem to run together. I forgot I'd even done this, and it was released recently. Uh, I got a message from Wartapper, actually from down in Australia, of all places, who tells me they heard me on another podcast talking about Fradiano. It's like, oh, man, (laughs) I forgot all about that. So it's finally released. Uh, Like like I said, I'll I'll pump them up a little bit. Not that they need it. They're a huge, big company, uh, uh, Gimlet or somebody like that, one of the big podcasting companies. So they got a big budget, as you could tell when you listen to it. But you get you get my take on things here, and uh, for me, that's that's what distinguishes me from from those guys. But anyhow, you can listen to Wire, uh, the Wire, Wire. You can listen to uh, Mafia on uh, any of the podcast apps. Now, for folks who don't know, I'm gonna give you kind of just kind of an overview of uh, James Aladina, Jimmy the Weasel, Fradiano, Jimmy the Weasel. Got his nickname after a policeman was chasing him through a market when he was a kid. He said, look, that kid runs like a weasel. Uh, He was born in uh, Naples, Italy. His family immigrated when he was a child, uh, right after the turn of the century in the early 1900s. They settled in Cleveland. Uh, He started out, as usual, as all of them do, a small-time thief, graduated in robbery. He was kind of associated and around with the Cleveland mob uh, because he was Italian, lived in an Italian neighborhood. After a stretch in the joint, I think for a robbery, which he didn't expect, it was a businessman, he didn't expect this guy to testify against him, but he did. When he got out, he counseled with some older mob guys, and and he decided he would move to California. This is about the end of World War II. Shortly after he got out there, he had some bona fides, as they call them, from Cleveland. Mickey Cohen recruited him to help with his sports book and loan sharking operation. He did some of that, but he never really was exactly like a member of anybody's organization when he first got out there. But the, uh, the Italian family, the, the Sicilian family out there did notice him, of course, and he ended up making his bones when he killed the two Tonys from Kansas City who had robbed some mob-protected games. Uh, I'm going to do that, uh, talk more about that in a bonus episode. He was moving up the ranks in the Southern California mob. He moved north to, was kind of associated with the San Francisco family. And, you know, this guy was kind of all over the place. He was a little bit like, uh, oh, who's a guy from uh, Chicago, like, uh, not Caifano, but Johnny Rosselli. And, and he had, but he had connections all over the world. He got some connections with the Australian crime families down there, doing some business with them. And, and he got involved in trucking business and the transport business. And somebody on the uh, dock workers union in San Francisco, which was able to facilitate different kinds of smuggling operations. And actually, finally, at one time, he was named the underboss of the Southern California family with Tom Dragna being the boss. Now, right after he named him, I think uh, they say Fradiano thought maybe that they named him because they wanted his help in killing his old friend, Frank the Bomb Um He didn't want to do it, and, and he, he 
basically refused or didn't respond to the request to help kill the bump. This enraged Dragna, who accused him of trying to start his own California family and ended up putting a hit out on him, ordered him to be murdered. About the same time, this is back in, what, the 70s, I guess, or early 80s, about the same time, an old California associate who was now in Cleveland named Ray Ferrito was being charged with the famous murder of the Irish labor racketeer Danny Green. Uh, the feds turned Ferrito, and he named Fradiano as a co-conspirator. Well, these two things, the contract for murder on him from Dragna and the murder conspiracy charge brought by the uh, Feds, you talk about a carrot and a stick, uh, they brought him into the witness protection program, and he became one of the more famous uh, mob witnesses throughout the United States He because he, te- he had so many connections. He was testifying all over the place. He ended up doing, I don't know, four or five years maybe and for all his past crimes. And God, he'd killed a bunch of people too, as like uh, Sammy the Bull's doing right now. He's out making podcasts and no telling what all uh, and uh, – you know, killed like 20, 30 guys. I don't know how many killed a bunch of guys anyhow. So as I was boning up on the weasel, studying up on Jimmy the Weasel to be on, be an expert on the Mafia podcast, I discovered a guy who had been his civil attorney for business matters, especially when he had a trucking company that was pretty successful. And he was wanting to file a civil lawsuit against somebody. Uh, you'll hear more about that. I searched around. And I found this guy at home on his retirement ranch in Montana, and he agreed to talk about his time with Jimmy the Weasel. And what makes this an even more insightful talk, uh, information from this guy, is that he and Fradiano became friends and got to know each other on a social level after Jimmy went into witness protection. Uh, so for a different view... And a look at one of the most famous mobsters ever to go into witness protection program and one of the most productive for the government, I would say. Uh, listen to my interview of uh, Jimmy Fradiano's friend and business attorney, Dennis McDonald. So tell, tell, me, tell me about your, you know, when he first came into your office that day. Well, he came, uh, first of all, I should tell you that uh, I represented uh, uh, Jimmy Fradiano for over... Uh, 20 years. Uh, when I first met him, he was referred to me by another long uh, time uh, client and uh, a person uh, that I didn't know at that uh, time, but he was kind of uh, Jimmy's uh, go for, if you will. He owned a, uh, a trucking company in Hayward, California, and I had represented him on business matters for uh, years. He referred uh, Jimmy uh, to me, uh, and Jimmy came in and wanted to commence a defamation lawsuit against Bob uh, Guccione and Penthouse Magazine. They had written a feature article uh, suggesting that uh, uh, Jimmy was a uh, infamous uh, hitman uh, responsible for uh, multiple gangland uh, slayings. Um, the uh, uh, at the time, Jimmy had never been uh, arrested, uh, had not been charged uh, with uh, uh, any murder or uh, uh, any violent. Uh, crime 
other than I think he had an assault charge in his uh, background, but that was that was about it. We uh, commenced that uh, uh, litigation and ultimately uh, settled it with uh, uh, Penthouse Magazine and Bob Guccione. Uh, the uh, interesting uh, part of that is is afterwards I ended up representing Mr. Guccione in uh, an effort that he was making to uh, acquire a gaming license in the state of Nevada, which had been uh, uh, denied to him previously. What year was this? Uh, you know, it, 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 that must have been about 1975 or six, somewhere right in there. I'd have to check that date, but... Uh, that's my recollection. Okay. So um, then uh, after you settled, you maintained a relationship with, uh, with Jimmy. Is that correct? That, that is. Uh, it, uh, Jimmy was a, uh, uh, just an odd person, and I, 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 I say that, and I'll describe it to you. I think you would find that many of the FBI agents that live this time, supposedly, I think there's an FBI report, Tony Spilatro made him an offer of at least $10,000 or more to keep quiet about him, and, and the FBI report says that he contacted a lawyer, uh, Jimmy contacted a lawyer about that, advised him not to have anything to do with Spilatro. Was, was that anything to do with you? Do you remember that? Yes, I, I do remember that, and I, uh, you see what uh, that that came a, a bit uh, a later uh, to to fill in the the, the story um, in about 1978. Uh, it became apparent uh, after a bomb in Sierra's uh, killing in uh, Los Angeles. The uh, uh, powers to be in the uh, Los Angeles family wanted 
uh, Jimmy did. And Jimmy became aware of that and uh, came up with a, a number of uh, uh, plans to deal with it, all of which I told him was uh, crazy. Jimmy was getting up in age at the time. Uh, I finally uh, told uh, Jimmy that it was time for him to uh, live the last part of his life uh, in peace and uh, to come to terms with much of his uh, background. I, I mentioned to you early that Jimmy was an excellent chess player. He was at the house. He would he would come to my home fairly frequently. He loved to cook. He would he, uh, came a couple of occasions to cook. Thanksgiving dinner for uh, my family and, and and others, but one night he was uh, he was there uh, and uh, uh, because he had been charged uh, in the Bumpin Sierra slaying and uh, needed wanted me to represent him uh, in that case and needed to get from. Uh, the San Francisco Bay Area to L.A. for this court hearing. But he told me he did not want to fly commercially. And uh, it just happened I had a, a, uh, a pilot school and I owned an aircraft hangar and I had an aircraft dealership. Uh, in Hayward, California, and I made arrangements for he and I to fly down on a private plane. And he let me know that he didn't want to fly into LAX. He wanted to go to Burbank. Uh, and uh, he wanted uh, to have someone that maybe I would know. He didn't want anyone that he knew to pick him up there uh, to take him uh, to this court hearing. Well, uh, it didn't take a genius to, in part, figure out what was going on, although he didn't, ex at that time, he didn't explicitly uh, tell me. Until, oh, some time after that, when uh, the uh, L.A. family sent Mike Rizzatello and others uh, to uh, assassinate uh, Jimmy. And, and at that time, Jimmy was living in a house that I owned in Moss Beach, just south of San Francisco, uh, uh, on the ocean there. And one night, uh, Jimmy uh, found that he was being followed, knew who it was, and uh, came close to being involved in a shootout uh, that night, but it didn't happen because Jimmy jumped in his car and tried to run these guys down. Uh, they ultimately got away, and it was soon thereafter that uh, Jimmy came to me, explained the situation, and was looking for advice. Uh, Jim Ahern of the FBI had already contacted uh, Jimmy and let him know that his life was in peril and he should consider becoming a uh, 
government witness. Uh, when Jimmy told me the story, I got a hold of uh, Jim Ahern, and after uh, doing some uh, research, I came to the same conclusion. By the way, just at that time, uh, Jimmy had been uh, uh, charged with a uh, murder in in uh, Cleveland. Gosh, I can't remember the victim's name, but he Danny Gre- uh, Danny Green. There you go. I put the pressure on Jimmy to become a uh, government witness. Soon thereafter, Jimmy was at the house for dinner, uh, beat me in a game of chess, and my wife uh, lectured Jimmy about being such a smart guy and how could he waste his life uh, in this criminal enterprise. And uh, I, I, I was embarrassed as uh, my wife Sharon lit into him. <laughs> Jimmy was was shocked to hear her description of of his life. He had spent seventeen years in prison for various uh, uh, criminal activities, and so it was uh, it was time. He was either uh, going to be involved in a uh, gangland war or he was going to be assassinated, or the other alternative was to become a government uh, witness, which uh, was a difficult negotiation with the uh, uh, strike force, the Justice Department Organized Crimes Strike Force. And at one time, those negotiations uh, broke down, and I told... uh, the uh, Justice Department, uh, no deal. We were going to go to trial on the case in, in Cleveland. And about that time, uh, Jim Henderson was sent to L.A. to take over the L.A. Strike Force office. And ultimately, Jim Ahern, uh, Jim Henderson, and myself, on behalf of Jimmy, came to uh, an agreement of how this would happen, what was in it for Jimmy, how they would take care of him. Uh, that's basically the story of how he became a government witness. You know, Dennis, there's one other thing I read about it that he learned at a wake that there was an FBI clerk in the Cleveland FBI office who was leaking information out to the the Cleveland family, and this was during the time that he would have conspired with, uh, I think it was Ray Ferrito, to help kill Danny Green. Did he say anything about this? Uh, he was wor- It seemed like he was worried about whether they were going to uh, identify some FBI informants. Well, uh, Jimmy wasn't concerned about... Uh that, that that was later, of course, after he was on the program. And let, let me tell you how that, I'm not sure uh, this story is widely known. They placed uh, uh, Jimmy in Boise, Idaho. Uh, they had given him a new identity. He's in Boise uh, one day uh, going to the phone booth to do whatever. <laughs> and... He sees two people that he knows driving past the, past the phone booth. He knew immediately they were there to do 
William Harm. He ran back to his apartment, jumped out the back window, and got away. We, he notified me, I notified uh, uh, Witness Protection and Jim Ahern and uh, uh, Jim Henderson. Uh, come to find out his location was leaked to the family uh, by a secretary in the Cleveland FBI office. My understanding, uh, and I think uh, Jim Ahern and Jim Henderson would verify this, that uh, the uh, w when they conducted the investigation of how it was his location was leaked to the Cleveland family, they determined that it was this secretary in their Cleveland office. Now, you mentioning it was at some weight that, that he was told this. I, I don't think that's true. I think he was told that, I was told that by uh, the FBI and the strike force. Okay, all right, good. Uh, that, that clears that up. Uh, the information I had was a little sketchy on that. Uh, you talked about Mike Rizzatello. Tell me a little bit about him. Well, Mike uh, wanted me to represent him on some tax matter. I, I never did any criminal law. I did mostly uh, uh, business law and uh, personal injury uh, litigation. So uh, I, uh, oh, there were dozens of uh, uh, Jimmy's hangers-on and made men wanted me to represent them on this or that or the other thing. Uh, uh, I, I never did it. Mike Rizzatello was uh, one of those. He had some tax problems. He wanted me to uh, uh, intervene for him. I, I declined to do so. I, I didn't represent uh, any of those people. I, uh, I didn't care to uh, 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 be involved. But um, uh, yeah, there was, I guess your question is, uh, uh, were there other uh, referrals to represent uh, either family members or uh, other hangers-on, as I, I called them, uh, and I chose not to. And, and what about Rizzatello? I understand he was a pretty scary guy. How, how, did, he, how did he strike you? Yeah, he, uh, as I might have told you, he's the uh, kind of guy that, uh, uh, he, first of all, he was, he was a big guy of, uh, of stature. He, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> looked like a gorilla to me. And, and uh, he, uh, uh, you know, he would, he gave you the sense that uh, he could, uh, Cut your heart out and not blink. <laughs> yeah, I've known a couple of guys like that. They're very scary to be in the same room with. Yeah. Uh, now, Tony Spilatro, we talked about this in our kind of our pre-conversation. Uh, he supposedly made an offer to Jimmy of, of $10,000 or some amount of money to keep quiet about him. Uh, what do you remember about that? Well, uh, uh, my understanding, it was... Uh, a much more substantial of an offer uh, than ten thousand dollars. I understood it to be a hundred. Uh, I told uh, uh, Jimmy to uh, not to be involved. Uh, 
and uh, after uh, a persuasion, he agreed, and I immediately called uh, Jim Ahern and Jim Henderson, again, of the strike force, uh, to let them know that that offer had been communicated uh, to uh, Jimmy uh, and... uh, and Jimmy agreed not to uh, have any further contact uh, with uh, Spilatro. Now, after that, I got a call from a, a lawyer in Vegas, whose name I don't recall, and wanted to talk about a, the relation between Spilatro and Jimmy, at least that's how he wanted to introduce the uh, conversation. I knew immediately what this call might be about. I cut it short, told him I wasn't interested in in hearing it, uh, and that uh, uh, we didn't need to have any further communications. And that ended that. Interesting. So, uh, Jimmy, then he ended up making a deal. He had to serve some time. He did, Uh, uh, because the government was worried about uh, the perception of, uh, uh, by that time, became uh, 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 public information about Jimmy who had been involved in a number of uh, uh, gangland uh, slayings, and uh, was the acting boss of the L.A. family for a period of time. I, I, I kind of almost forgot you, you, uh, you, your question, but what, what we were, what they wanted to do was imprison Jimmy, and and they did. They they uh, and we negotiated this and. Uh, See, up until that time, he had been staying in various hotels under FBI uh, uh, security and and uh, witness protection security. But they ultimately wanted him to do some jail time. We agreed. They sent him down to uh, Texas, to Altoona, uh, put him in the Veloci suite for... <laughs> And I don't remember the, t- I, I, I've got all, i got files on this, but off the top of my head, I, I can't remember the time period, but it was during the summer, it was hot, and he spent about five months down there, as I recall, uh, incarcerated, and uh, he told me it was the toughest time he had ever done. Wow. Did he go out after six, seven months down there? Did he go to a, a more minimum security? Was he ever kept? No, after that, that was the only time he was ever uh, uh, jailed. After that, we uh, moved him from location to location. He had had his, he got all his uh, uh, new social security number, uh, driver's license, you know, he got a new set of identity documents, and uh, and we moved him from uh, place to place. By the way, uh, I, I just recall the incident that occurred after the the uh, Cleveland found out his location in Boise, Idaho. 
demanded a meeting with Rudy Giuliani, who was the head of the strike force at that point. And uh, uh, because after it was discovered that this secretary had leaked his location, uh, I wanted a uh, and demanded a, a different um, uh, protocol uh, to maintain uh, uh, Jimmy's uh, location and identity. Uh, Jim Ahern and Jim Henderson set that meeting up. Uh, Fratiano and I flew to D.C., uh, met with uh, uh, Giuliani, and I'll describe that meeting for you. It was, uh, and looking back on it, it was hilarious. We're in a meeting there in, at the Justice Department. It's a big meeting room, big oak table. Uh, Ahern's present, Jim Henderson's present, my, myself, uh, Nick, uh, oh God, uh, another one of the uh, strike force uh, lawyers from New York uh, was there. And in comes uh, uh, Giuliani and a couple of his uh, gophers. Sits down. Giuliani starts the meeting by saying, uh, uh, Mr. Fratiano, nice to meet you. How are you? <laughs> Jimmy's reply is, look, Rudy, I'm not too fucking good. Your people almost got me killed. That's how the meeting starts. <laughs> Giuliani says, "We well, look, we've had, we've had uh, 200 people of, of uh, your stature in the program. No one's been killed yet. Jimmy says, fuck you. You're lying to me. We killed two of them in wherever. <laughs> and he says, you, and... You could get rid of me and you'd still have a pretty good fucking record. <laughs> At which point, uh, Giuliani just turned white. And uh, uh, so I tried to <laughs> intervene so this uh, meeting didn't totally go to heck. I said, you know, look, whatever the history is, we need a protocol uh, so only a limited number of people uh, know where uh, Jimmy's at at any point in time. It says Jim Ahern should know, uh, Jim Henderson should know, I probably should know, but I'm not even sure that's uh, important. Rudy, you should know, but there's no reason that. Oh, and Bud McPherson uh, was there from the uh, witness protection program. Jimmy trusted him and. And I said, uh, Mr. McPherson should uh, know as well. But other than that, there's no reason for any secretarial personnel, anyone else in the department to know his whereabouts at any uh, certain point in time. And uh, ultimately that was agreed upon. And as a consequence, a uh, number of years later, uh, Jimmy uh, died uh, living in a condominium I had purchased for him in Oklahoma City, laying on the couch, 
making a bet on the football game uh, when he passed away. Curious about his money. I'm always curious about these guys. Did he seem to, and this may be, uh, maybe you can't talk about this or don't want to, but did he seem to have a lot squirreled away? Because, you know, it's not like he can go to work somewhere. To, you know, He's not going to go to work at Walmart. Some, he, he had some money, but uh, I generated most of the income from, well, from the book that I hired Ovid Damaris uh, to write, The Last Mafioso, which I think was on the, uh, bestseller list for an extended uh, uh, period of time. At one point, we had we had sold an option to Columbia Pictures to uh, do a movie, which was never uh, made. And that's a that's another story. But yes, I generated uh, substantial revenue for uh, Jimmy, and with what he had himself. At one point, he uh, uh, bought a uh, piece of ground up in the state of Washington. Uh, He built a a beautiful home there and uh, lived there for a while until that uh, location was uh, discovered. Ultimately, then, I bought this condominium for he and his wife in Oklahoma City, and that's uh, where he spent his last years. I see. I, so I guess you you bought those in in a name of a company or in your name or something like I that. I did. No, I bought them and I set up a uh, limited uh, uh, partnership uh, that I controlled it and bought that property for him uh, uh, that way. Interesting. Uh, he did. Uh, he did some speaking. I know there's a there's a documentary or something out there. Did. Uh, was, I mean, he, he seemed like a really genial guy and talked about a lot of things just uh, comfortably. Uh, uh, can you t- he think did. Of- that's, what, that's what I was trying to describe to you uh, earlier. He was, he was just, he was bright enough and, and had this great sense of humor without himself cracking a uh, smile. He could tell these, these stories that were, uh, were humorous. So he was, yeah, he was, he was uh, engaging, he was uh, charming, polished, so much different than so many of those thugs that I met that were family members or uh, a lot of them were just hangers on, uh, you know, gopher guys. Uh, yeah, he, he would, uh, well, he did the 60 Minutes uh, uh, interview with Mike. Wallace and and as I recall, he and and Mike sit around uh, talking for uh, two or three hours after the interview. Just uh, it was obvious that Mike Wallace was totally captivated by by this guy. It was a uh, an amazing characteristic that he possessed. Now, did he ever talk? He was a mafia. There's no doubt about it. He he would have been inducted in. He even talked about that in, a, I believe, a, a U.S. Senate or, or House Representatives Investigating Committee. Did he ever talk yes, about a, being a member of the mafia and what that meant to him? Uh, right. And, and uh, yeah, he described uh, the ceremony where he became a— uh, it made man. It was uh, Johnny Roselli uh, that uh, 
sponsored him uh, to become a, uh, a member. And, and Jimmy became uh, close with all of the major bosses everywhere. I got photographs of uh, with many of the bosses uh, around the country. Uh, it, it was amazing. Some of those photographs, well, probably most, have, have been published in, in various magazines and, and, and such uh, stories uh, around the country for a number of, of uh, years. So, so I have another question. From, uh, from your viewpoint, or, he seemed to be a man for all seasons as far as, like Johnny Rosselli, he was connected to the Chicago outfit, to the Cleveland family, to San Francisco, to Los Angeles, uh, to San Diego, Las Vegas. He, he was. It was like he was well, all in, over. Well, in New York, all the bosses in in New York, when they really wanted to have something done, they called Jimmy. Uh, it, it's uh, yeah, it's just amazing. What what would you say? Did he talk about his other family connections at all? I mean, how, how did he pull that off? Was he just he just was a got this reputation as a young man that he could get her done no matter what, or or did he talk about that? Yeah, they, it, he had the reputation that uh, when these guys uh, across the and and I'm talking about Carlos Gambino. He and Jimmy were close, and I've got a photograph of them together. They they trusted Jimmy. They knew he could get it done, no matter how difficult the case, and they knew uh, and, and believed to their heart he was the one guy they could trust no matter what. Uh, look, the guy had been uh, sent to prison on different occasions for some of you know, almost humorous charges. He was charged in California with violating the public utilities uh, code for uh, failing to properly withhold uh, taxes and and benefits from various teamsters that were driving his trucks. Uh, yeah, he was, so, he was charged uh, with bumping. They, they knew he could be trusted. Yeah, he was charged with Bompacero on that, I believe. Yes. Did, did he talk about his relationship with Bompensero? Yes, he and Bompensero were uh, close, close, good friends. But when it came time, when it was learned that Bompensero was communicating with the FBI, uh, and I think Jimmy is the one that figured that out, the L.A. family decided to assassinate Bompensero, they lured Bob and Sierra to the phone booth where he was killed uh, to call uh, Jimmy. That was Jimmy's participation in that assassination. Jimmy had told Bob and Sierra go to a certain phone booth there in L.A. and and call me on this date at this time, and Jimmy would go to another phone booth and take the call. And uh, that's when uh, Bob and Sierra met his demise. His trucking company, Fradiano Trucking Company. What what kind of a trucking company was that? What what kind of business did they do? Was it was highly successful. Uh, Jimmy uh, ended up 
hauling the uh, the concrete and gravel for many of the uh, freeways in the L.A. basin that were being built uh, at that time. He did his best to his best <laughs> uh, to run a legitimate uh, company, and unfortunately, and this is one of the things I. I really hammered home that Jimmy when I was convincing him he needed to be a witness. He had a very successful company. He was making a lot of money, uh, legitimately, but the family wouldn't let him alone. And he and he made some bad decisions and ended up squandering millions uh, when that trucking company. Uh, went bad, and that's when he did time in California at Folsom for this public utilities code uh, violation. Is it true that uh, that's how they turned Bump and Zero uh, out, out of his uh, relationship with Jimmy in that case? Well, I don't know that they ever turned Bump and Zero. Uh, I don't think they ever were able to rupture the relationship between Bob and Ciro and Fradiano. Fradiano himself figured out that Bob was was talking to the FBI. And the 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 clincher, what convinced Jimmy is Jimmy and I Jimmy wanted me to go with him to Las Vegas. They had this business deal going they were gonna build a uh a slot machine, some super whammy slot machine. And we went down to Vegas, and while he was there, the FBI came and knocked on Jimmy's hotel door. And Jimmy knew that only Bob and Sierra and myself and Spilatro knew that Jimmy was going to be in Vegas uh, on that occasion. Jimmy then... Uh, realized that, uh, uh, in his mind at least, that uh, uh, the boss in, then the boss in uh, L.A. needed to know that. Interesting. You've mentioned the murder of the two Tonys. I'm going to tell you something that I don't think is widely known. The uh, contract on on the two tents uh, Tonys were given to uh, Jimmy and Bob and Sierra. Yeah. The way it was set up is the two Tonys were to pick uh, uh, Jimmy and Bob and Sierra up and they were going to the horse races that uh, uh, day. They got uh, Fratiano and Bob and Sierra got in the back seat and before they, they took off they were uh, uh Jimmy's plan was they would shoot both Tonys right then, right on the spot. Well, the moment they got in the back seat, uh, Jimmy shot the the driver in the head and Bob and Sierra froze. Hmm. So Jimmy had to do both jobs. (laughs) Jimmy knew that if the family found out that Bob and Sierra froze, that Bob would be assassinated and so Jimmy never never ever told anyone uh, other than the FBI and Henderson and myself uh, that story Hmm. which uh, 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 
brings up an all of a sudden I had a question about that. Um, oh, uh, you know, and and in that case, he he like he he dispatched the other guy. Uh, I'm sure, right? And, and he had a. There's a story I found as early in his life where he was. Um, he did an early robbery, one of the early robberies. They'd set a guy up in uh, Cleveland who was cash checked for people from the uh, Fisher body plant uh, in Cleveland. And the guy would get like $25,000 in cash. And so they robbed him at gunpoint. That's what he did early on. He robbed people like that and gambling, unprotected games and things like that, which is the way right. most of these mob guys start. Everyone I ever knew that rose up, their early crimes were robbing, you know, big-time armed robberies and where they'd get, you know, at least four or five figures. So, uh, and a lot of uh, other gamblers that weren't protected or, or drug dealers, too, is what they do now. But uh, so Jimmy and this... Two guys, his his partner, a guy called Tony Dope, they brought they did the robbery and they had a getaway driver. They ran to the car, the getaway driver froze. They all jumped out and started running. The guy's chasing them. Then uh, Jimmy has his personal car parked somewhere close by as, as uh, a, a crash car. If they start chasing the stolen car that was their getaway car. Uh, Jimmy's jumps in his car and, and the, the guy's chasing them and with the police have gotten into the chase by then, he pulls his car between the the chase oars and and his buddies, the chasees, and jumps out and starts yelling, "Hey, they've got guns! They've got guns, man! Watch out! They've got guns!" and and uh, allowed them to get away, which is another opera situation where he somebody else lost their head and and he took over. Did he talk about that very many other stories like yeah, that? He, he he told me that uh, story. Very similar to what you've uh, just re- okay. recited. Uh, uh, was there yeah, any we, other stories like that? Well, I, I, there was a, a story. I'd have to go back and, and check my notes, but uh, Jimmy was playing uh, gin rummy, I think, with Bellatra. Well, I could be wrong about that. With uh, several people, and Jimmy decided they were... He had lost a bunch of money playing gin rummy in a Vegas hotel room that evening. Uh, Jimmy decided they were cheating him. He pulled out his gun, took all the money, and left. <laughs> <laughs> he was a piece of work. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of stories yeah, like that. he's a piece that. of work. Uh, okay, all right, but, Den- Dennis, I-, I think we probably got it here, and I got to get going anyhow. Uh so, yeah, so do I, and I'll have uh, Ray Tracy okay. uh, send this transcript down to you. Anyone you can uh, refer uh, to us that has some interest, okay, uh, we I will. would uh, appreciate it. Okay, thank you. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Well, folks, thank you for listening and all your nice comments on the Apple Podcast Reviews, plus your nice comments on my YouTube channel, where I often put up the uh, at least the Zoom interviews so you can see what my guests look like. Uh, in real life. Uh, also on our Facebook group, Gangland Wire Podcast. I uh, I see a lot of really good compliments on that. I've got some great people that help put up really good content. So if you want more mob information than you can shake a stick at, go to Gangland Wire Podcast Facebook page, or actually it's a group. Remember that if you support the podcast with some donations, you'll get an invite to my live Zoom call, where we'll share stories, answer questions, and in general, have a good time. 
Don't forget to buy me a cup of coffee or a shot and a beer on Venmo on your Venmo app, or you can go to Gangland Wire, my website, ganglandwire.com, and donate. I have a donate page, and, and each uh, podcast that I put up has a pretty lengthy written blog piece about what the subject is, and at the bottom of that page, there's a way to donate. I have some fixed costs, and plus I'm raising some money for my next documentary, which is about the KC mob and the election fraud of 1946. I've already had to hire a film guy to do a couple of my interviews, and I have one more interview to film. Plus, some uh, I have an artist that I pay to do some illustrations for my movie. If you remember from Brothers Against Brothers or Gangland Wire, I use some illustrations in those. And by the way, you can rent those on Amazon for only $1.99. Or two ninety nine if you want the HD version. And finally, I have my book, Leaving Vegas, the true story of how FBI wiretaps ended mob domination of Las Vegas casinos. Now, that title is a mouthful. But in that book, you're going to find copies of a lot of the transcripts of the actual wiretaps. And if you get the Kindle version, I took those audios that I got out of the court files and link them to the book in the proper places i have an explanation and then the actual audio wiretap which i think is kind of unusual so you can go to amazon and get that book and get it in the kindle version gangland wire supports the veterans administration and their programs that help veterans with ptsd you can call their hotline at 1-800-873-8255 and push one or go to their website www.com ptsd.va.gov. I hate saying that www. I left it out when I said something about gangland wire. You guys all know I can leave that out. Anyhow, thanks a lot for listening and uh, listen up next week. I try to put out one a week. Music provided by our good friend and super fan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey.